That's the title today, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, if you want to open the scriptures there. Just think about that simple title. Three words, a determiner, that's A, A, worthy walk. We could have said a worthy walk or a wimpy walk. Which one do you want? (laughs) Worthy. I mean, wimpy. Who wants to be wimpy, you know? I mean, when you're growing up as a kid and you're in the weight room or whatever, you don't want to be known, hey, I'm the big wimp in my school. And as you get older and you're in a situation, you don't know, there's the wimp. Well, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, how worthy is this walk? See, what I believe is profession, how does it look? We profess things of God. We profess things of the faith. But then when it comes down to it and people evaluate, they, they observe, they look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see a life that's worthy of Christ? A a life that somehow has been changed and matched up by Him? I do know this. There's a great price to pay if you're going to have a worthy walk. It means you're going to have to put somebody else at the center of your universe, being Jesus. It means you're going to have to die to yourself and to your flesh and sometimes to your dreams and desires and elevate Him. It means taking all this knowledge that we have in the house of God, and somehow taking this knowledge, this knowledge and applying it, putting shoe leather to it, and walking out the steps of Jesus. Now, granted, we fail miserably. We fall short. The Scripture is very clear about that. But our goal, our objective, our aim is to shoot high and to run hard after Jesus. Worthy is defined, just write this on the side, worthy is divine is defined as consistency. You know, that's what I pray you and I get, a consistent walk of faith. Not a perfect walk. Oh, I wish we did get a perfect walk, but we're not perfect. Only one perfect Savior. But somehow this walk is consistent in profession that people see the attributes, the values, the the character, the life of Christ, that we're little Christians, that we somehow display Him to the world. And some of us, in this room, struggle with that. Some don't struggle as much as others, but yet God has called us to this great mandate that we're, He's worthy. You know, I would say, I beg you, according to Scripture, walk worthy of this calling. We've been looking at this study. Here we are in the seventh week in Ephesians. We're now to chapter 4. We're marching on. We'll finish the last week before Easter. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Don't say it out loud. See, I've enjoyed this 15-week study that we'll do through the book of Ephesians because at the end of the day, I want you to know God's Word. And then Easter Sunday. This year, it's not a joke. Easter is on April Fool's Day, okay? April 1st. It's always interesting to me how Easter moves, and I, you know, it moves all over the calendar. And I, I remember in seminary when we studied why it did that. don't remember all the exact reasons, but it's just very uh, confusing because it's like, oh, why, not, why can't it always be the second Sunday in April or the first Sometimes it's late, sometimes it's early, but I just want to tell you right now, it's then, okay? But listen to this. Paul says, I'm a prisoner. Look there in chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called, been called by God. So that very first sentence, that's where I get the title from, a worthy walk. He calls us to lead this kind of life, not a life of phoniness, not a life of hypocrisy, not a life of posing, but the genuine deal of Christ. Uh, write down this verse, 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, verse 1. And as I was studying this week, I came across this verse. It says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do it even more. Now, I think about that. Live in a way that pleases God. I pray this a lot for my life, and I hope you pray it for years. If not, I hope you'll start today. God, I love you. I give you my affections and my attention and my praise this morning, maybe daily. But Lord, I don't always live in a way that's glorifying, pleasing in your sight. But God, somehow, begin to strip away the sin, begin to strip away the evil patterns and the behaviors and and the wrong thinking that I have, God, and help me to get the Christ life in me. Lord, form and frame and build in me the life of Jesus. Lord, you're my prize. You're my goal. God, you're what I'm shooting for. You know, the book of Acts, when we see all through those monster miracles and demonstrations of God's power and grace, God, begin to do that. Determine how we walk. See, we don't need to walk to please men. And yet, if we're honest, it's easy to want to be liked, accepted by others, and I want to please somebody else. God says, don't walk to please men. Don't even walk to please yourself. And certainly don't walk to please your friends. Now, let's, let's pause there a minute. In high school, you remember those days? Hello? Okay. Some of you weren't that long ago. Some of us, it's been for a lot of years. Do you remember you lived to please and be approved by the crowd, by your peers? And I certainly have my t-shirt for that, and I did that. And you know what I found? When I lived to please my contemporaries, my friends, always, not always, many times I tended to do what? Huh? The wrong thing. Why are y'all looking at me like, I don't know, man, you're the goof up. Not me. I'm Lily White, man. I was a Christian at two years old. I was walking down the sidewalk and said, Jesus, I want to be born again. And you've never done anything wrong. You're lying. And then some of us have a tainted past, and you're not proud of that, I hope. I'm not proud of mine. But we need this grace. That's, that's what he talks about, this whole thing, being complete, being completed in Christ, walking in oneness. Now, move here with me. So we're there in Ephesians uh, 4, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, as you look at this one, it's really tough here. So I want you to fill in this blank here on number two, verse two. Fill this in. Believers are to be humble and they're to be gentle. One translation would say, be humble, be meek. I've told you many times meekness means power under control. But be humble and gentle as a follower of Christ. Preserve, honor him. In Ephesians, when you look at different, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 that we're looking at now, you look at different translations. Over in the New American Standard, it, it has different words here about patience, showing tolerance with one another. But listen to the Amplified. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, unselfishness. We just read it here. Being humble and gentle in the New Living Translation. With long-suffering, bear with one another 
in love. Now, people a lot of times go, I want to go back to the church of Scripture long ago. It must have been the perfect church. You have not read your Bible. No. There are a lot of things that happened in the early church that I want to see on display today. And the church said, it'd be okay. Amen. Miracles, okay? But there's also some sharp disagreements and some mess and some sin and some stuff they had to deal with. So I don't necessarily want to go running back to that. But he's telling the church then at Ephesus and he's telling the church at Ryan Road today, be completely gentle and humble. We talked about this humility thing a lot. I mean, it's just, uh, it's almost impossible to acquire that. And yet it's the goal. It's what Christ calls us to, to clothe us in compassion and kindness and humility, to be like him, to have uh, a low estimate of ourselves in the proper sense, to have the proper attitude, somehow to put Christ before others, to put Christ definitely before myself, to put others before me, to, you know what humility does? It always, I love this, you can write this down. Humility always promotes unity, but pride promotes disunity. God, help us to be people that promote the unity of the bond of peace, the body of Christ, that we live in harmony and love and long-suffering and forbearance with one another. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity necessarily, but it means that we live in that state, that union, that we care and we forgive and we hang out and we do life. And sometimes we disagree, but it, may not, it should not be sharply. I mean, let me just ask a, a simple question. Have you ever had a disagreement with somebody in this room? Raise your hand. Okay. And you thought about leaving when you had a disagreement, right? No, hopefully not. You, you mature. You, you get over it. You get over yourself. You get over their opinion or whatever, and you work through it. That, that's what, I mean, in marriage, if every time you got upset or you didn't agree with your spouse, man, it'd be a rough world, wouldn't it, church? I mean, marriages would not be able to thrive or to go on if we just go, well, we're in disagreement, so we might, we might as well quit this. I mean, there's unity here, unity in the body of Christ. Paul loves, he, he, he talked to us earlier about the believing Jews to lay aside their religious pride, to lay aside their disregard for the Gentile counterpart and begin to love them. Remember when I was talking, teaching about that a few weeks ago about Jews and Gentiles and Christ has come for all and the gospel is for us today as Gentiles as well as it is for the Jews? And yet we have to lay some things down. You see, that's a, that's a practical word that I need to hear and you do today. There might be something today. Here's the practical application. God, is there something I need to lay down? Is there some offense? Is there something that I've done or not done, but I just need to lay it down for the sake of unity in the body of Christ? God, we want to be long-suffering. We want to put up with others. It's, uh, here's what I've learned. It's easy to be harsh with other people. It's not even a spiritual gift. <laughs> it's a non-spiritual gift. To be caustic. Don't you like that word caustic? To be sharp. To be angry. To just be mean have you ever met a mean christian before turn to the person next to you and go and it's not you turn to them and and some of you look back at me and went i'm not supposed to lie in church okay we all y'all can deal with that over a cup of coffee or some lunch today and 
I mean, can you imagine saying, man, it's you. You're, you're the mean one. You, you, have you ever realized, you, you know, when you're raising little kids and you're telling them, now don't be mean, be kind to one another. You know, it's amazing how many people quote the Bible when they're raising kids. Be kind to one another and all this, you know, and, and then you're just mean as everything to everybody else. And kids, they just kind of come with that little nature to be mean and often. Listen to um, Isaiah 57, 15. It's going to come up. I love this scripture about it says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restored the crushed spirit of the humble and revived the courage of those repented hearts. Or I read it in a different translation. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, he is not reading the screen. See, sometimes I have version burn. I read lots of versions. And as I looked up there, I went, that ain't the translation I'm reading, but it's really close, okay? I was reading out NLT. This is a little different. Sorry that I confuse you. Would you forgive me? We want to stay in unity, right? Okay. We don't want to say, well, man, I was going to this church and the pastor read it wrong. I'm leaving. Disunity. Well, give me a little grace. Okay, here we go. Here it is. The, the, the word would just be, God, give us demonstration by humility to one another. See, I think if our church walks in humility, I know this. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and our church flourishes spiritually. It possibly could flourish numerically again. But I know this, we will flourish in our spirits if we're humble with each other. In any relationship, humility is always God's way. In verse 3, look, look down there with me. Ready? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. See, he's real big on this uh the spirit of unity this unity thing is uh look what i wrote in the outline unity is one of the holy spirit's important roles and only possible when the holy spirit acts in a believer's life see i think if i don't allow the holy spirit to have full reign and rule control then i walk in disunity and i don't make possible the things of god but when i choose to say god I want unity for me, but God, I want unity for our church. I want unity for others. I, I'm going to come back to this unity thing in a little while, and, and I'll share with you about, but, but I want to say this to you. We are birthed for unity. As believers in Christ, God births us. When he, we're born again, he births us to live in unity. And unity is just a, you ever worked in an office? You ever played on a ball team that had unity? And it was fun, wasn't it? Have you ever been in a situation where there was disunity? How quick did you want to get out of there? Have you ever left a job before because there was so much dysfunction, disunity? It's like, God, I need help. I need, I need deliverance. So this, this thing is very practical. Uh, one scripture says, eagerly pursue, eagerly maintain this unity that God has for us. Um, you know, whatever it is that causes our hurt feelings or we get sad or we get broken about. A lot of times we have disunity because we, we put a focus on unimportant issues. One of the things that we've done at Christ Community over our tenure was we, we've chosen not to have a lot of committees. We, we've had an elders board. We've had mission team. We've had leadership teams. We've had all resource management team. We've had different things. But we purpose just not to have so many committees. I talked to pastor friends over the years, and they go, you're not going to believe. We're in a building campaign, and oh my goodness, Satan showed up himself last week. What did he look like? And they described her or him to me. 
and, and they would fight over carpet and colors of walls and what kind of trim they're going to have and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm just like, really? Is that the most important? And I'm glad we, we've not had fights about that. The church has been gracious. They've given us a lot of freedom. They've given me a lot of freedom. They've given different leadership teams some freedom. And we haven't had to go, hey, we, we can't do it like that. And let's go fight about it. I told a guy this morning, he says, well, tell me about this new missions committee, this new missions team. I said, one thing about our church that I learned a long time ago. We're like a jet ski. We can, you ever ridden a jet ski before? You can turn it on a dime. You ever been in a big ship? You've got to have a lot of room to maneuver that thing. And that's one of the things I like about our church, but probably I dislike sometimes because we can turn it so fast. <laughs> Isn't that right, Doug? I mean, we, we can change. Like we can be running this way. Whoop! I mean, it's fun when you're in the water and you, you throw somebody off the, oh, I did, oh, that was fun too, throwing people off but not throwing people off the body of Christ or off the mission that God's got for us. So here, here's the thing. Sometimes we have essentials and non-essentials. Um, I, I would say to you, there's a 17th century German Lutheran theologian, Rupertus Meldinus. I've always wondered who said this, and I went back and did some research, and I thought, okay. He wrote these words. You might write these down today. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Not the girl that sings on the worship team. Let's say it again. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, great liberty. But in all things, let's have charity. That means let's have love. You know, Paul said it one day. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another so god begin to work this unity thing in our hearts you, you know one of the things i love about unity is that we're unified around a common cause the cause of christ the cross of christ we just sang a song the cross has the next to the last word no the cross has the final word one of the things i've loved about it is i've traveled around the world preaching the gospel I can come into a new situation, know the language, don't know the language, most times do not know the language, have interpreters, but through the spirit and the bond of peace and the unity of Christ, we come together. I'm amazed in homes that I've stayed in around the world, in villages that I've been to, people that I've met had no clue who they were, where they lived, anything about them. And you come into this common ground, this common unity of Christ, and it's just a beautiful thing. It's one of the things, we, uh, one of the prayers I've been praying for you this year, and I want you to, Susan List, she's out, is she out there now? Yeah, Susan, I'll tell you. Susan's passionate about missions. She's been a part of our mission structure for a long time. One of my goals is I've been asking God for at least a dozen of you, because we used to send out lots of mission teams. I've been asking for 12 of you this year to go on different mission teams. And the church said, that was pitiful. And the church said, and that means it might be you. Don't look at the person and go, I think he's talking about you. I, I'm telling you, church, I think when we get out, man, the church gets greater. We catch a vision for the world. So one of my goals is to take some of you personally. Other goals is for some other leadership to take you, but for us to go. We want to be a going church. Amen. All right, God. All right. Now, let me say this about unity, and I'll move on. You're like, man, he's beating this point up. When you join the church, ha <laughs> I gave you a sheet. You're saying, you gave us a lot of sheets of paper. And I gave you a notebook. And we, I've been teaching that for 22 years. But I went back and I said, God, i got to share this Sunday. In one section it says, 
as a member, and you signed to this, you committed to this. I should have made you vow to it. I will protect the unity of my church. And then there were three points. By acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, and third, by following the leaders of my church. And you went, I committed to that? Huh? I just wanted a donut, man. I wanted some pizza then. I didn't know I committed to that. I want to be in this year and I want to fight. Man, you're in the wrong church. God, help us preserve the unity. What happened if everybody in this room started fighting to preserve the unity of the body of Christ? What would happen? There'd be more love. There'd be more food. For food. There might be more food. There would be more food. That was prophetic, Vicky. There would be more food if we had unity. Was that a Freudian slip? I don't know. I'm, I'm hungry. Okay, here we go. How many of you are ready for me to land this plane? Let's go to lunch quickly. Okay. I'm, I'm, uh, thank you. Thank you, Danny. All right, Danny said I'm on it. Okay. <laughs> Unity is the soul of fellowship. All right. All right. Let's go. Verse 4. Ready? He says, For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Now, as you love that, or, or as you love it, as you listen to it, I think about there's one common denominator here. It's the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit of Christ. It's the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And here in this box, right here in the middle, I want you to get ready to write some things. Some of you like to take notes. Hallelujah. Some of you, you, wouldn't you don't know what a note is. I'm wondering how you did in school. That's another thought that I have another day. Number one, one body. I want you to look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, write it down. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. One body. Paul's favorite metaphor for the church is the body of Christ. Many parts, but how many bodies? One. One body. One head, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the head. We are subject to the head. There's one body. The church is, that. I call this an outpost at Ryan Road. There are many churches in our city. Matter of fact, we had a church about every three months out here, whether we need it or not. They just, we just add churches. So there's a lot, but you know what? Many churches, one Savior. Many churches, one body. I just want you to see this. So many parts, just write down, but uh, there are many parts and all are necessary. You're a part of the necessary work of Christ. You know, we're not just a big pile of eyes or a big pile of hands or feet or elbows sitting on a table. I mean, I guess we are if we like, you know, that'd be weird if you like took them off. But the truth is, all those joints and all those parts come together and it forms a body that functions under the head of Christ and we do the work of our master. God, Begin to do that. We, we don't criticize the foot for not being the hand. How, how dumb would that be? We don't criticize the ear. Ear, you can't see. Well, the ear wasn't made to see. The ear was made to hear. So in the body of Christ, I love how God, God's divine design, He designed us with different gifts and different talents and different personalities. He distributed spiritual gifts, as the Scripture says, as He intended that Christ might be glorified. So I've told you this the whole journey that I've been with you. Discover your spiritual gifts, employ them for Christ, 
and it'll make a difference. God, let us be controlled by your spirit. Help, help us. Look at this. One body, one spirit, just right up beside one spirit. He strives to keep us in unity is what I wrote in my notes here. The next one, one hope. The hope of every Christian is Jesus Christ in heaven. I love that. We have the hope of glory, Jesus himself. Lord, we're not called to many hopes. We're not called to wishful thinking, but we're called to a certain hope that is anchored in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you're my eternal security. You're my eternal hope. I lean on you against the ages. I trust you for heaven. I trust you to forgive my sin. I trust you to be my gentle, sovereign shepherd. Lead me not into temptation, but do what? Deliver me from evil, God. For you are my God. You're the stronghold of my life. You're my salvation. You're my light. Lord, I will praise you. You're the object. Here's what hope is. It's the object of your hope. And the object of your hope is what? Jesus. You're saying, okay, got it. One body, one spirit, one hope. Look at the next one. One Lord. John 20, 28. Thomas over there, he goes, my Lord and my God. He makes a personal declaration that he's his God. He's his, he's his personal God. Lord, I need you. You're one. I belong to you. I, I cling to you, Christ Jesus. Lord, I need you against the storm. I need you against the trials and tribulation. God, I need you. We sing all these songs around here about praise and worship and how, oh Lord, how I need you and on and on. And I hope and pray that's our hope 24-7. We go, Lord, I'm going to sink. I'm going to go down. Lord, I'm not going to make it without you. But Lord, with you. If you are for me, who can be against me? Nothing is ever able to separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just go to Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. I just love it. But I was thinking about this, about clinging, about us living a worthy walk that I started about today. There's a guy that you probably have read about over the years. His name Muhammad uh, uh, Gandhi o over in uh, India. And he's... Uh, you know, he, he, Gandhi was a Hindu. He died a Hindu. But what's interesting about him, there was a missionary one time that went to meet with Gandhi, and his name was E. Stanley Jones. He was a famous evangelist and missionary and shared the gospel and tribes, and so many people came to Christ. And he went to Gandhi one time, and he says, Gandhi, I've noticed that you quote the words of Jesus Christ, and yet you in an adamant manner, tend to reject the Savior that you quote. I, I don't understand. What is it? And Gandhi made some responses, but he said this. I thought it was interesting. Oh, I don't reject your Christ, E. Stanley. Matter of fact, I think I love your Christ. It's just that so many Christians that I meet are so unlike the Christ that you preach to me every day. I don't like them. <laughs> So he had been attracted to the Christian faith. Stories tell us that Gandhi studied the scriptures probably a lot more intensely than the household of faith in a lot of places. I understand that he seriously explored the tenets of faith. And yet, it was one day he was, in a, he was going to a church. And somebody called him out. And they asked him, what do you think you're doing? Where are you going? in a belligerent tone. And as he made this comment to Gandhi, 
he said, I would like to attend worship here. And the guy turned him away. So he decided then, I mean, I've often thought, what would happen to Gandhi had he become a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ with the impact, the platform that God had given him? He was turned away by unworthy Christians. So I tell you that on a big historical scene. Here's what I want to say to you and me. We live in Montgomery, Alabama. We can go to Elba. We can go to Slap Out. We can go to all kinds of little villages and people. We, we, we Oka. You ever heard of Weoka? All these people are like, man, where did y'all make up this stuff? It doesn't matter where we are. We can be in Birmingham, Los Angeles, Chicago, just name a place. But where we find ourselves, is our witness worthy of Christ? I profess him, but do people see Christ in me? Because I think we're in constant observation mode. People are always looking especially the unsaved world, they want to say, what does a Christian really look like? What does a Christian really do? I remember before I came to Christ 40 years ago. I won't tell you the little church that I got dropped off at as a kid. It's a good church, still there today. And I remember being dropped off as a kid. My folks didn't go. They just thought me and my brother should have a little religion. And I would go. And I still remember some of the boys that I went to school with Monday through Friday. And they were very mean-spirited and just mischievous and obnoxious. Can I say that? And I just, and they would say, I know God, I know God. I didn't see anything different about them. It, it actually, it turned me off. I remember when I hit about 11, I asked my dad one day, I said, Dad, do I have to go to that church? Could, could y'all stop dropping me off? I, I think I've had the religion thing. I, I don't want that anymore. And I remember my dad said, that's fine. If you don't want to go, we don't go. I just thought it'd be, you need to be exposed to it. Hmm. Little did I know, eight years old, I'd radically be born again. <laughs> and I'd meet Jesus. But, but I'm telling you, I'm not blaming those little boys. They were just lost. <laughs> but those little boys had an impact on me. I think I didn't come. I think if I'd have seen a real Christian. I remember one day I had my friend I used to play ball with. One day I saw him and he came in and and I actually was in that service, and he, he, got, he got baptized. And I asked him, I said, man, what is baptism? What does this mean? He looked at me, he goes, Keith, it ain't a big deal. He said, I got wet, and I got to go dry my hair before I come in here and look at these little girls. And I went, and you know what? I got a shower at my house. I can get wet at home. I'm looking good right now. And I, you're saying, really? I'm telling you. Just a simple, I'm convinced, had I been around some real genuine Christian little boys, I might have become a Christian as an elementary kid. Wow, that would have been awesome. But that's okay. I'm just so glad that I came to know Jesus. Amen? Are you glad you know Jesus? And you're saying, you mean somebody's looking at me? You mean the way I act, the way I do? Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, our witness matters. Here it is. One faith, the only way to God, that video just said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me but by what? No one comes to the Father but by me, by the way of the cross, the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, how do, how do we get there? By faith alone, faith in Jesus, faith in his atonement, faith in his work, faith in what Christ has done for me, committing my all to him. Look at this next one, one faith, only way to God. Write the next one, one baptism, I love that. 
This is really just a baptism of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we talk, covered in early Ephesians. Go back and listen to the podcast. Christ sealed us. Christ marked us as believers in Jesus Christ. We get that. He, he comes in. He washes. He cleanses. He purifies us. He makes us acceptable to the Lord. So here it is, that, that one baptism he, that we receive Christ. Of course, then you could get into a whole other thing about my witness is that I follow Christ in water baptism. And I, Lord, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. And honestly, guys, I, I, I've, been, I've been longing for baptisms. Would y'all write on the side of your margin right now? This is a good place to do this. Would you write down, Lord Jesus, send baptisms, send many, bring salvation in our house. We want to see the water stirred. We want to see baptisms monthly in Jesus' name. And the church said, this is the prayer. I want to see the lid blown off. You're saying, oh, no, he's back on that blowing the lid off. Last week, it was blow the lid off. God, sell the eight acres. That's my number one. God, blow the lid off this place, off that acreage. Sell the property by your mighty name. Secondly, God, light up. Well, don't light up. That might be deathly. Okay, stir up. <laughs> light up. I don't think we want electricity around water. Stir up the waters of baptism. Amen? God, we want to see that. Man, and so I beg you, man, invite your friends, invite your lost friends to see Christ, to come, to participate. I don't, I don't know, God, just do something great and new. And look at the last one. One God and Father of us all. He is above all. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He's one. He's enough. He's complete. He's a, he's a completer. Lord, I trust you. But keep moving down here with me, okay? Look at, uh, look at verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. See, God's given you at least one gift. I think God gives you a gift mix, spiritual gifts, multiple gifts that you can use for his honor, for his glory. So he gives to sustain us, to encourage us. And the church always works best when every member uses and distributes their gifts through the community. So God, light up this church. Lord, give us a greater witness than we've ever had. Lord, there's power in this room. And then I'm, I'm just going to keep moving. Verse, um, verse 8 here, he says, Therefore, he says, um, when he ascends on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Look at verse 9. He says here, uh, now this he ascended. See, what I do know from Scripture, look at verse 10. That he who descended also is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. I know this, Christ descended into the depths, and he ascended into heaven amen and he's a complete god but here's the thing he feels he completes all things christ completes you and me you, did you know before you met jesus christ you needed completing you were undone <laughs> and when you come to christ you get completed spiritually you, you get that new nature you get that new work of god lord we believe you we we trust you we we look to you mighty god you're you're the gift you you qualify us Lord, we, we go to your church because we, we love the people of God. Lord, we go to the church because there's trainers over there. There's, there's equippers. Here it is. They're, they're coaches. You know, that's what I am. I'm a spiritual coach as a pastor. Our elders, they're, they're coaches. You, you, you're a small group leader. In, in a big sense, you're a coach. You're to coach people to do something they couldn't do on their own or help them get better. Have you ever had a coach? Sure you have. Coaches are great. I have great memories of coaches. I also have some negative memories that I don't want to share today about coaches. But I remember those coaches that made a difference. And those coaches that helped me become more. 
Today, I have spiritual coaches in my life. Yeah, I've been a Christ follower for 40 years. I've been a pastor for a long, long time, but I want to get better. So I have coaches in my life that speak into my life. I've coached many people over my life. I don't think you ever into this. I think if I live to be 80 or 90 years old, I want a spiritual coach to come by. You know what I'm saying? Just to help me get it a little more. I just want to know Christ a little fuller. The other day, I got to see him twice in one week. I got to see my spiritual mentor, father in the faith, coach, two days in a row. It was awesome. Just got to, I, I, even, got to, I, even, I even snagged a car ride with him. Now, that, that's really weird. I'm a pastor, and I'm doing funerals. And I'm usually up there behind the hearse and all this, but I, wasn't, I was asked to be a pallbearer at a good friend of mine that I'd done Bible study with 40 years ago. And on the way over, I went over to my spiritual mentor. I said, hey, can I ride with you? And that's so funny. I don't ask anybody to ride, but I, went, I can ride. And I jumped in the back seat, and I went to ask him questions all the way. It was awesome. And when we got through, I said, he probably won't see me for six months or a year. You know, he showed up here the very next day. It was Jan's celebration service of going home. Now, I didn't get to spend time with him that day, but I love my coach. Hey, just right on the side, do you have a coach? Do you have a spiritual coach? If not, get one. Maybe you could become a coach. Right now, there's some spiritual coaches over there next door, aren't there, Doug, with, with Tiffany. They're coaching our kids to become all they can in Jesus Christ. I, I love that. So we, we need each other. All right, let's, let's move here. Verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. In, in the Greek, here we have... Uh, almost a delineation, pastors and teachers, but really in the Greek, it, it's one. Pastor, teacher is really the same one. I want you to fill it in. Right, verse 7, I didn't give it to you. Oh, he distributes gifts as he intends. Christy already did that, didn't she? She's amazing. Okay, here we go. Verse 11, write down apostles. This apostle things, let me tell you what they are. Write, write this in here. They're ones that are sent forth to pioneer to establish new works of faith. That's really what a modern-day apostle is. You had the disciples and the apostles in Scripture that actually walked with Jesus, but here an apostle pioneers the work of God. They're, they're a visionary. They reach out. Look at the prophets. The prophets are one who speak forth God's Word to inspire, to correct, to motivate. Man, prophets are needed in the body of Christ. And some of you might have a prophetic gift, and you're saying, well, you know, and, and you tend to see things black and white, and you tend to reprove and rebuke and, and to exhort people in areas. So he says here, in the body of Christ, we need apostles. He says we need prophets. Look at the third one. He says we need evangelists, ones that are gifted to preach unto salvation. They're able to preach to others. The greatest evangelist that I've read all through my spiritual pilgrimage is Dr. Billy Graham. He's not active now. He's in really, really poor health. And his son and his daughter and all these, they've become very powerful evangelists and teachers in their own right. But they're compelled to go. Then I got to think about Philip. Man, he was an evangelist. I thought about Peter. Peter was a great evangelist. I mean, he preached one day and 3,000 got converted. That's pretty effective. Then I think about, you ever hear this guy? You, you've heard him. You just don't know him. I, I've actually sat with him. You hear him on Caleb, Dr. Louis Palau. You ever heard of Louis Palau? Has that little thing? I know Lewis. He's great evangelist to the nations, just a, a cool guy. And we used to have a guy here. We called him a road warrior. This guy's a few years older than me, long, a little jealous. It's okay. Long, red, curly, crazy hair. We used to be youth pastors in this city for a long time. His name's Robbie Robinson. 
Robbie and I talked several times a year. Our church has supported him financially over the years that he could carry the gospel. Has an amazing gift of evangelism. Everywhere he goes, people come to Christ. He speaks all these camps and all these teen events, and now he's doing a lot of adult things, and people just come under conviction, and people come to Christ. And Man, it's an awesome, awesome thing. So here we go. And then look at the last one, pastor-teacher. They write this down. It's a person who has the gift of teaching. They're apt to teach. They shepherd, they guide, they guard the hearts of people. Uh, here's what I hope I do as your spiritual pastor, that I assumed spiritual long-term responsibility for your spiritual warfare. That's why it's so important for me to encourage you to come as often as you can and to catch up on podcasts, but to be a part of small groups and do all the things we do to grow in the grace of Jesus. We, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. God has called me to train you in truth. And the church said, and the church said, come on. I mean, everybody, Doug down here with me, man. Doug's talking to me. The rest of you are like, I don't know, man. I don't know what we're doing. Here we go. Here you go. Here's what pastors do. They administrate worship services. They feed the flock. They're commanded to be watchful. They should be gentle and affectionate. I want to be. And they're instructed to exhort, warn, and comfort their flock. That's what our elders do. They, they, that's one of the roles that God has. All right, look at verse 12. Our goal is to equip the body of Christ to make sure others are growing. So if you're in Christ's community, we have one goal, that you know Christ and that you grow in Christ and that you're being equipped and you're learning and that you're making things right with Him and that you're pursuing him that you're i just write up the word being made com more complete in christ verse 13 there's unity in the faith here there's that unity look at verse 14 being stable as a christ follower it'd be the worst thing if y'all were just shaky and just falling all over yourself and didn't have a clue what was going on spiritually i want you to be strong in, in the lord i want you to not be tossed to and fro i want you to have a steady diet of god's word i want you to plug into him i want you to be more mature than you were last year or 10 years ago or two months ago i want us to grow together oh church do that we, we've got to plug in verse 15 speak truth and love and grow up that's a i could preach on that but i won't we just got to grow up you know what i'm saying i mean you know when you heard that as a kid hey keith grow up i used to hate that like what does that mean now as an adult somebody says to you grow up <laughs> they're insinuating you're a little less than mature. <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to be funny, but maybe I am. As your pastor, I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. I want you to mature in your faith. I want you to know more of Christ than you did yesterday or last year. And that takes a continual pursuit of your heart, of the holy of God. Lord, that I, I go after you, I build up, I grow up. Uh, Lord, I want to become, and look at verse 16. I'm going to close with this. We're to fit together for edification. We are fit together for the purpose of edification. And, and, and basically, it means that we're a family, and there's not an eyeball and a hand and a foot and an elbow sitting on this table. I mean, I, you know, I got all those parts, but they're together forming a body, and all together we form the body of Christ. And God wants us to edify his name. So we struggle together. We win together. We pray together. We pursue God together. Uh, when we're together, we contribute to the overall body and the strength of Christ in this community. So here's my parting thought today. Let's have a worthy walk. 
for Christ. Let's walk together, hand in hand, heart to heart, united in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so good to be in your sanctuary with my friends. Lord, we love the living room where we can come and and can be taught and can sing and can pray and can worship and can connect and can be forgiven and can find grace for the journey. God, through songs today, through prayers, through the Word, through all that happens on this campus today, God, for boys and girls and babies and teenagers and adults, Jesus Christ, may you be honored. May you make some worthy people down here today. Lord, help us to have a consistent walk of faith. Lord, I need to see consistency in my brother and my sister. They need to see consistency in their pastor and their elders and their leadership and their small group leader and their friends. But God, by your Spirit, do a new work. Stir the waters of baptism like I asked earlier. Sell the property, Lord Jesus. Teach us to be a body of faith. That God, all we do is we go, our God is worthy of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.